Warning, the following podcast features views and opinions that are not representative of the collective views of the Whispers groups. Some of these views may not be suitable for children. Accordingly, the producers and hosts of the Missy AE podcast must insist that no one attempt to take anything that is being said as representative of the views of any of the Whispers groups. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Missy AE podcast. Tonight, we bring to you Sports Whispers Weekly, where we will talk nothing but sports for the next two hours while we're live before we go into the extra after show for one hour following uh, the top of the top of the hour at 11 o'clock Eastern uh, where those who are on the line will be the only ones that will be able to hear the extra hour live. Right. Otherwise, if you're not on the line, of course, you'll have to, you'll have to uh, wait until it goes into the archives. Uh, I am your host, Steve Kent. I am uh, joined by Lou, as always. Uh, Lou, we have a lot to uh, to get to tonight. There's a whole bunch yeah. of coaching hires. Uh, we have quite possibly the biggest Cinderella story right now in the NHL with the Montreal Canadiens uh, oh, reaching yeah, the Stanley Cup Ugh. final for the first time in 28 years. Uh, yes. And actually... For those who aren't aware, it is the first time that it will be uh, that they will uh, play the Stanley Cup final in the Bell Center. Hmm. And we have, we'll of course cover that uh, and also cover the lack of offense that we saw out of the Vegas Golden Knights uh, in this series. What kind of kind of really underwhelming. Uh, if you think about it, Lou, Pathetic. because we, talk, we talked about it uh, last week that a lot of their offense only came from, from the defense. Yeah. And honestly, they're, they're the only score that I can, th- that I can think of that came from, uh, from the Golden Knights uh, forwards, uh, honestly yeah. – you know, I can't even. I can't even remember who sc- who scored uh, out of their out of their yeah. forwards because a majority of them were uh, were from, you know, were from defensemen. Yeah, only the four Actually, scored think, four goals overall. Yeah, I think I think two of them came from Nicholas Waugh. Uh, yeah. One came from Riley Smith. And honestly, those are the only two that I can recall. Uh, Mark Stone, he was left completely scoreless yeah. in the series, which really shocked me, considering he, you know, he is one of their top forwards on this roster. And you know, it kind of it kind of made me wonder, you know, with Jack Eichel on the market. We all know that Vegas. Every single time there's somebody out there on the market, Vegas is is always going to be in the mix. In the mix. So, yeah. I'm kind of wondering if maybe Vegas may dive into the Eichel market. Jack Eichel? Ugh, I don't know. Yeah, Jack Eichel. Ah, come on, for Buffalo. You want to put? You want to take a chance on him? I don't think so. Well, I mean, let's be fair. He, for the first couple of years, he was really their entire offense. Right. And 
obviously this year, or actually the past two years, I should say, uh, everything has been topsy-turvy because of COVID. And, I mean, there honestly, there was no excuse this year because he had he had the, the help on paper. He had Taylor Hall. He had, I believe, on his right wing, he had, uh, I believe it was Sam Bennett. I might be wrong. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he had the talent with him. But the problem is, is that for some reason they just didn't gel. I don't know if it was because of, uh, if it was because of how poorly of a job their coach did in managing the lines or, or whatnot. But uh, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty butchered up offense uh, there in Buffalo. Now, if Eichel can get a change of scenery, like I've heard the Rangers are also in the mix as well. Uh, if he can uh. get a change of scenery, I think I think it's entirely possible that Eichel could prove to be a difference maker for uh, for uh, specific teams, depending on who ends up uh, who ends up grabbing him. You think the Rangers have a shot? Honestly, I think they do. I I think. Uh, just ba- just based off of some of the uh, some of the assets that they've been able to gather over the years, because of the uh, the numerous amounts of trades that they've made, I think that they could potentially be one of the top uh, one of the one of the uh, I don't know if I should call them a front runner, but they have a they have a pretty good chance I think, depending on what Buffalo is going to be asking for. Taylor Hall. Now, granted, this is going to be completely different because uh, Eichel mm. is their franchise player. But for Taylor Hall, they got a second-round pick and oh, Anders Bjork from Boston. Bjork. So, and actually, no, it wasn't just that. It, it was for Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar for a second-round pick and Anders Bjork. So, I, I mean, if if Buffalo is serious about dealing Eichel, considering what they considering what they got for Hall, obviously mm-hmm. Eichel is gonna is gonna command a lot more for you know because of the fact that he that he does have term left on his deal, and also because of the fact that he's their franchise he's their franchise centerman. You know, obviously he's going to command a lot more in a trade than somebody like Taylor Hall would. But I really do think that uh, amongst the, you know, amongst potential suitors, I think the Rangers are most definitely in the mix. I mean, I, I would, I would be we pretty shocked, like honestly. And I, I, I truly do believe he would be a, a definite, a, a definitive difference maker out there in New York, because if you take a look at at the depth chart currently, obviously, you know you guys you guys currently have Mika Zibanejad as as the starting uh, the starting centerman with Ryan Strom. Uh, centering the second line, and then you got a combination of Philip Scheidel or Chris Kreider on the third and fourth lines. I think what this will basically allow them to do is if you take, if you acquire uh, the likes of Eichel, 
obviously that's going to move Zabinajad down to the second line, Strom down to the third, and this will allow them to, to use Chris Kreider as a wing once again, which is where, honestly, he, he probably should be a, a winger as opposed to a centerman. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think you know. Ob- obviously, they're they're going to need more than just uh, than just Eichel to really help fix this team. But I think if you can get Eichel and maybe a defenseman or two, I I, I honestly think with the, with the uh, with the jump that you're probably going to see out of Shesterkin and Georgiev. Uh, in terms of development in goal uh, as as their two goaltenders uh, going into next year, it's entirely possible that the Rangers could potentially move closer to contendership status. Maybe not mm-hmm. full blown contendership, but like at least on the cusp of of making the playoffs. I mean, they will most definitely be in a better position as opposed to, yeah. as opposed to you know the Buffalo Sabers being in basically dead last. But I mean, you know, let's start. Let's start with uh, actually first off before I uh, before I go any further. Uh, for those of you that want to call in and talk uh, talk some sports with us tonight, you can call in at 657-383-1308. Uh, a reminder, starting next week, actually, next Friday, we will have the Big Brother 23 cast assessment podcast uh, this, this upcoming Friday night where uh, Melissa and I will – basically uh basically break down this upcoming the cast of this upcoming season of big brother and yeah. every friday night after every friday night following this upcoming friday we will be doing the big brother 23 recap show uh where we will recap everything that that goes down inside the big brother house so uh big brother fans who Maybe maybe you're listening to this live or listening to this on the archives. Uh, if you're a Big Brother fan, be sure to tune in uh, Friday night starting this upcoming Friday. Uh, you know, sticking with when is the new the season start? NH, uh, the season starts on the seventh, I believe. I might be of wrong. July, correct? Yeah, of July. It starts on the seventh, and the cast is supposedly going to be revealed this upcoming Wednesday. Ah. that's what I've heard at least. Uh, that's okay. what what's been what's been going around the Big Brother rumor mill, uh, basically uh, the past couple of weeks. So, who knows if that's going to be true? Obviously, if it if it isn't, and it ends up uh, being later, then. You know, maybe we may, uh, Melissa and I may have to rethink uh, rescheduling this upcoming Friday's podcast, but tentatively, mm. it's supposedly going to be released on the 30th. I see. With the, with the starting date being on the 7th, the, the week after. Now, probably uh, the 
uh, apart from the playoffs, probably the biggest news story, news story that, that broke in hockey this week was the Seattle Kraken have officially yep. hired Dave Haxtell as their first head coach. And Tim Gross, I don't know if you're tuning in right now, but I know you're still laughing about that, considering what Haxel, uh <laughs> brought to Philadelphia. Uh, he's a Flyers uh, fan. He's also he's also a Phillies fan. Uh, but Dave Haxel, mm-hmm. he used to be the head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers for four seasons. Uh, he posted a 134, 101, and 42 record with them, making the playoffs twice. Uh, as head coach of the Flyers. He has spent the last two seasons as an assistant coach with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And it kind of makes sense why he got the position, considering the fact that a lot of people that were, that that had been interviewed, uh, either they backed out or they didn't have any head co- any previous head coaching experience like with uh with Joe Sacco of the Boston Bruins he right. ha- hadn't had any previous head coaching experience and now he'll just he'll continue to make the uh the Boston Bruins power play absolutely suck for as long as he's on the team uh as long as he's on the coaching staff uh but what do yes. you think about about the Seattle Kraken hiring Dave Haxtell as their first head coach in, in franchise history. That's a ruck. You're going to need it. You know, nobody expects, you know, anybody to, you know, be, you know, a success their first year except for the Golden Knights. You know, we don't, yeah. know, we don't know what we expect. I mean, he's also um, – he hasn't, he hasn't coached in the NHL before, right, or, or has he? I forgot. No, he has. He, uh, he spent yeah. four seasons – as the uh, as the coach of the Flyers. Oh, the Criers. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. so much for that. Yeah. Well, well, we can't judge from what he's done in the past, but you know, it takes time for a team and a coach to develop chemistry like that. So, I'm not looking for anything spectacular in the first season. I mean, the Golden Knights was a one in a million shot that you know was going to do well in its first season of existence, but I'm not expecting to see Seattle do anything. To, uh, Monumental. Yeah, I think I, I, I think with the Golden Knights it was completely different because they had Gerard Gallant, who was previously, and also you take a look at the players how they how they overachieved with, uh, yeah. with Vegas the very first year. You know, a lot of people looked at that Vegas roster and. You know, honestly, when I first saw them, I thought they would be kind of sneaky good. You know, maybe they would have a shot of at least maybe sneaking into the playoffs. I didn't think they would be as good as they were the first year. When you have better players that have done it, you know, and been to the Stanley Cup and whatnot, uh, that wasn't surprising because they take their experience thing with them. Yeah. Yeah, they had they had veteran players who had been in the playoffs before, or they had won Stanley Cups. I'm looking at you, Flurry. Uh, but they also had a mixture of not just them, but also players who maybe had underachieved with their previous uh, with their previous teams, and yes. were looking for a fresh start. And I mean, you've seen what uh, what has happened 
uh, with uh, with players like Riley Smith and uh, Audi Marchessault and William Carlson. Yep. You know, players have have since blossomed ever since they got their opportunity with the Vegas Golden Knights. And it, it, it helped also that they had a coach who did have previous playoff experience like, uh, like Gerard Gallant did. And a lot of people still believe that Gallant got, uh, got fired a bit too quickly, not just from the Florida job, but also from the Vegas Golden Knights job where he got fired in his third season. Midway through, uh, midway through the third season, despite a twenty-four, nineteen, and six record, and you know th- there were quite a bit of people that thought maybe Vegas could potentially prevent Alexander Ovechkin from getting his first Stanley Cup. Uh, his first Stanley Cup. Obviously, of course, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Uh, but. You know, I don't think anybody was expecting a fifty-one twenty-four and seven record in their very first year. No. So you know, with with Haxtell, I mean, it, it all depends, honestly, on what the roster is going to look like, because depending on certain players that they may that they may pick up. You look at Haxtell, uh, Haxtell's resume, his only losing season was his final season with Philly where he was fired after posting a 12-15-4 record through 31 mm. games. Previously, previously he had a four, uh, in his first year with Philly, he had a 41-27-14 record, which was good for 96 points. Uh, they ended up. He ended up losing in the first round in six games that year. Mm. His second year, he went 39, 33, and 10, good for 88 points. However, he ended up missing the playoffs. And the year after, he went 42, 26, and 14, which was good for 98 points. And he ended up losing in six games once again in the first round. And then, obviously, his final year, he got fired. Uh, after 31 games with a 12, 15, and four record, so you know it's it's not like they don't have a coach that is you know that doesn't have previous experience. I mean, he has that time with Philly. He also spent a whole bu- a whole bunch of seasons as the head coach of uh, of North Dakota in uh, in NCAA where he ended up taking North Dakota uh, to be the runner-up in the Division One tournament back in 2005. And not to mention making one, let, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six Frozen Fours uh, all the way up to the 2014-2015 season, which was his final year at North Dakota. So, you know, he has a history of, putting together contending teams, I guess you could say. I mean, obviously, you know, college is much different from, from uh, the major leagues, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to, uh, to overall talent, but I kind of see Haxtell getting hired as sort of, sort of like what Vegas did with, with Gerard Gallant. 
Right. You know, Seattle could just as easily have decided to to hire, you know, an, an assistant who would have been a first-time coach for a first-time team. Uh, but instead, they decided to go with experience. And I guess we're going to have to see – we're, we're going to have to see what happens in regards to who ends up getting picked up, who ends up, uh, you know, what the team looks like before we can make any sort of assessment. But considering how things went with Vegas, I would not be at all shocked if, if things end up, uh, end up happening the same, the same way with Seattle. However, one thing I have noticed is the way teams have gone through with some of these trades over the past year, they have been setting themselves up to expose certain players just in case, you know, they end up getting, they end up getting uh, selected or getting looked at by Seattle in the expansion draft. Like, for example, the uh, the New York Rangers, they signed Keith Kincaid so that they could protect Shesterkin and Georgiev from from being potentially selected. Now, as the as the third goaltender, Kincaid would basically uh would basically be exposed out of the goaltenders to the to the uh to potentially being taken in the expansion draft. So we've sort of seen moves like this happen the past couple of years, because ever since it had become known that Seattle was looking to potentially put out a team that, you know, we would, we saw teams start to prepare for that. And I'm just thinking how it's going to work in Seattle, you know, because, you know, I mean, the Sonics left, I mean, you know, that's one that was that was a blow. Uh the Seahawks, well, you know, they're still decent bears, but you know, I don't know how it's, you know, gonna work, you know, because Seattle doesn't really strike me much as a hockey town. Yeah, I'm kinda I'm kinda surprised myself. Uh but maybe perhaps oh, the fact maybe perhaps that just the fact that they have been itching for for some kind of sport for years ever since. I mean, obviously they have the Seattle Seahawks still with the NFL, but ever since yeah. the Supersonics left, ever since the Supersonics left, you know, they they haven't really had a winter sport to Not a- to really latch onto. And now with the Seattle Kraken coming into town, it's entirely possible that. I mean, you got you got to you got to assume that before settling down in Seattle, you know they they probably put out some feelers around different cities as to you know who who has one of the biggest fan bases that's just itching for for hockey. Which kind of surprises me that they didn't go. They didn't try to sneak into Quebec to uh, to to revitalize the Quebec Nordiques. But uh-huh. I obviously that. Seattle, Seattle uh, clearly must have uh, must have shown something 
uh, to the owners that basically that basically told them we gotta we gotta uh, this is the spot for us. Yeah, because I heard that Quebec was trying to get back in. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I, I mean, heard. Hey, you you went um, with Jets in. Yeah, I, I had heard that Quebec was uh, was one of the options. And I was kind of surprised that it didn't end up being Quebec because I thought that fans have just, have just been clamoring for hockey ever since uh, the Nordiques yeah. ended up leaving town. But uh, as far as far as uh, as far as any other news surrounding the uh, surrounding the Seattle Kraken. Uh, they are going to have uh, former major leaguer J.T. Brown apparently uh, becoming their first TV analyst as he retire. He has decided to retire uh, from playing hockey, and he will join play-by-play announcer John Forslund uh, in the mm. broadcast booth to help call games for the Seattle Kraken uh, this year. Brown, during his career, uh, he played in 365 career games for Tampa Bay, Anaheim, and Minnesota, and he provided 72 points during that stretch. So basically, he was probably a fourth liner at the most. I, I do recall seeing him with Tampa, though. Uh, that is one name that I I do remember from their bottom six. Uh, another yeah, retirement. Another retirement that just ca- that came through this this week was Bo Bennett, formerly with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, oh yeah, and just just recently he was with the Tucson uh, Roadrunners of the AHL in the uh, Arizona Coyotes farm system. Uh, yes. He has officially announced his retirement. Uh, last playing in 2019-2020 where he had 12 goals and 40 points for, uh, for the Roadrunners. Uh, he did not see any action this past season, uh, probably due to injury, more than likely. And it's just, it's, it's just amazing how, you know, he started off his career very promising with Pittsburgh and just, Injuries limited him to only 200 games in the NHL before teams decided that, you know, we're not going to take a chance. We're going to, you know, put him in the minors to see if, you know, he can at least stay on the right track when it comes to, uh, when it comes to staying healthy. But really injuries are what pretty much derailed his, uh, his NHL career for the most part. It does. Kind of surprising yeah. to me when I saw when I saw his name pop up there. Um, also, uh, the Sedin brothers they will officially be rejoining the Vancouver Canucks organization as special advisors to GM Jim Benning. Uh, the Canucks have said that they will help out in player evaluation as well as player development and also assisting. Uh, in the draft, free agency, and at the trade deadline as well. Uh, this obviously is a very, very uh, big news for uh, Canuck fans, considering the fact that the Sedins are basically legends 
in the city of Vancouver. Uh, in, ter- in terms of uh, of huge athletes that they that they've had play for the uh, as a member of the Canucks, uh, probably their two biggest stars that they've ever had, actually. Yeah, and speaking speaking of uh, Vancouver, obviously we remember how fans rioted uh, when Vancouver lost to Boston in, in yep. 2011. I do. Uh, with Boston coming back in that Cup final, uh, I think probably the big question I have is: Are we going to see the same out of Montreal? Honestly, I think we would probably see the same out of Montreal, win or lose, because oh hell yeah, star that after the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, after the win over the Golden Knights, uh, what's it called? The Bell Center had to be put on lockdown apparently because there were a whole bunch of fans outside that were just so raucous that they didn't uh, they didn't want to risk them potentially storming uh, inside the Bell Center, apparently. I think I recall that. I mean, how crazy is that, Lou, that you – for obviously this is a team that has spent the last 28 years trying to get – trying to get back to the cup final, and – Honestly, it it seems like this is really a uh, a Cinderella story year for for Montreal because they came in they came into this season with Claude Julien as their head coach. They had a subpar year to where they ended up replacing Julien, thinking that uh, midway through the year when they replaced him that they would have a much better second half, and pretty much their second half mirrored their first half of the season to where they just barely made the playoffs and nobody was, nobody was thinking that they would be, that they would uh, get by the Leafs. A lot of people thought that they, that right. they would basically, uh, you know, they would basically get absolutely shelled by the Leafs. And of course the Leafs do what the Leafs usually do. And they, completely flame out when it comes to the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, then a lot of people argue that Montreal wouldn't have beat uh, Winnipeg if Mark Scheifele didn't get suspended for pretty much the rest of the series. And Montreal yeah. ended up sweeping. So. Uh, Montreal ended up sweeping Winnipeg because of that. And then everybody thought that Vegas would be the one to put Montreal down and yet Montreal, uh, you could technically call this an upset. Uh, they upset Vegas. So now, you know, the big question is, can they pull off the ultimate upset and dethroning the reigning champions? Well, we've seen this before. We have. But I think I think one of the biggest things uh, to not overlook here is the fact that Carey Price, Carey Price is reminding me a little bit of Tim Thomas this postseason, where he is standing on his head. I think that could be a potential X factor 
in this uh, in this series. If he is able to uh, to keep Tampa Bay's offense at bay, it's entirely possible that that we could see a potential upset, especially considering the fact that uh, Montreal. They do have the veteran leadership. They got court, uh, they got former Stanley Cup champions Corey Perry and uh, Eric Stahl on their roster. Can't go wrong with that. People who have won the cup before, uh, yeah. you know, they do have. Uh, I, they also have uh, aspiring young rookies like Cole Caulfield, who seems to be really blossoming into a superstar before our very eyes this playoff. You know, it. I, I definitely think, even though, even though you take a look at the betting odds, and the betting odds aren't really giving Montreal a chance, honestly. Uh, I believe, if I recall correctly, according to the Athletic, uh, the betting odds, the last that I checked, were the Lightning, uh, the Lightning by 250, with the Canadiens uh, being 200 underdogs. Yeah. In terms of betting, uh, now I I just don't know because one of the things that really pisses me off about this uh, about this uh, this year's playoff is the fact that the yeah. Lightning are basically being allowed to play with Nikita Kucherov with his salary basically putting them at seventeen million dollars above the cap limit. I mean, they are way above the cap limit. And yeah. apparently for some, for some random reason, uh, there was an exception that was made that allowed him to play this, uh, this postseason after recovering from, from surgery uh, that kept him out the entire year. And he has been an, he has been a uh, a big difference maker in this playoff run so far for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, what I'm what I'm interested in is whether or not that salary hit is going to carry over into next year. And if it does, uh, because uh, because obviously there's gonna there's gonna have to be some sort of repercussion for Tampa Bay go, going this far over the cap limit. If you're playing with $17 million over the cap limit, I would have to assume there's going to be some sort of penalty uh, to them for next year's cap. Mm-hmm. Isn't. Then, man, you know, call me a conspiracy theorist or whatnot, but it really okay. seems like the it really seems like the NHL must have really wanted Tampa Bay to repeat this year if they're going to allow them so. to have all of their top guys while going over the cup uh, or not not the cup while going over the cap limit and you know and it wasn't like it was just by a little bit it was by a lot like a shit ton It just seems kind of suspicious to me, don't you think, Lou? It does. It does. Kind of suspicious. 
but what, what do you think? What do you think about this uh, about this series, though? What, who who do you think uh, has has the upper edge? I think Tampa does. I think Tampa's got you know all the right zoners to repeat. I I think Montreal's going to run out of gas here. Yeah, it's entire. I think it's entirely possible. Uh, yeah. One of the things, obviously, that like I said, a big X factor is going to be uh, obviously Carey Price of the Montreal Canadiens, and it, whether or not Price, right? whether, for some reason I keep saying Corey, it's Carey Price. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, it's Carey. Like yeah, it's Carey Price. Uh, and you know, for the of, record, for the, those of you. For those of you out there who want to keep track, the finals will start on Monday. Yes, uh, that's right. I, I had I, I had it on here. I don't know. I don't know why it's. Uh, I don't know why it's. It's missing now all of a sudden. But I did have uh, that tidbit on here. It starts Monday at eight p.m. I think. Yes. On NBC yes. Sports. Yeah, they they kind of reversed the schedule a bit this year because. Usually the first game was on NBC, the main channel, but this year they moved it to the uh, cable channel. I think it's some scheduling conflicts that they couldn't avoid. So games one and two are on the cable channel, and three through seven are on NBC. What a way to go out, though, is, you know, NBC says goodbye to hockey. Yeah, I know. And uh, honestly, it's it's kind of good riddance because that means I don't have to listen to Pierre Maguire anymore. Oh, come on. He's not that bad. I mean, he has been kind of biased with... uh, That's true. That's true. He has been kind of biased. Like, normally, if you're you're a a station like NBC, like, it would be different if it was, like, say, the Yes Network and, you know, the the New York Rangers were, were playing on the Yes Network or... I don't know if the Islanders play on it on on that too, but um, no, no, they're they're on um, a different on a different station. You know, it would be it would be different if 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 it was you know a network for for that area, and he was you know an analyst or a commentator for that network, but he isn't. It's he's for a national. Network. Yeah. Well, it could be and, worse. You go, Joe Buck. Ugh. And he was he, he, from now. Granted, maybe maybe this may this may just be me being being a little salty still because the Bruins ended up getting eliminated. Uh, but right. every every single time the Bruins have been on NBC, he has always slobbered over whoever they were facing. Whether it was uh-huh. Chicago, whether it was Chicago in the Cup Finals in 2013, the St. Louis Blues in 2019, uh, this year it was uh, it was the New York Islanders. You know, it's Pierre. Either he has something against Boston, or he just chooses a specific team every single game that he covers that he's going to just completely slobber over without uh, without being hmm. unbiased. Yeah, I mean, as a sports as a sports commentator, uh, you're not supposed to be biased, if I'm not mistaken. No, you're not, unless of course, no. unless of course, 
unless of course, like I said, you're uh, unless unless you're doing coverage for a local network like like Nesson right, for Boston or uh, or Yes for uh, for New York. Yes is me. Uh, yes is me. Nesson is you. Yeah. Or, or, or stuff like that, you know. Uh, right. Obviously, that's a different case. But if you're on, if you're on a national network like NBC or NBC Sports, I mean, come on, show show at least a little bit of professionalism. And that'll be interesting to see uh, with the NHL going to ESPN now. The, I, I did see, uh, did you see that they hired uh, Mark Messier? Yes, yes, I did. An NHL analyst. Love it. They have Messier. I assume that uh, John Bucci Gross will probably, uh, well, actually, no, I think he got, I, I think he got cut by ESPN. Ooh. I think he, I, I think was he was one of the new. Yeah, I think I think Bucci Gross was one of their recent cuts uh, that they did last summer. Mm. I think it was, and yes. he was basically finishing up. He was finishing up the year this year uh, with ESPN. I'm hoping that they bring, that they bring people like Bucci Gross back. People who you know Barry Melrose. People who actually covered the you NHL Melrose. for ESPN. Yeah. You know, I would rather listen to Melrose before I'd listen to Pierre at any at any point. What about Doc Emmerich? Oh, hell yeah. I'd listen to Doc Emmerich any uh, anytime, but unfortunately Gary he's Thorne? retired. Yeah. How about Gary I'd listen Thorne? To Gary Thorne. Yeah, I'd listen yeah. to Gary Thorne. Just to listen during a normal uh, broadcast because he, cause he actually doesn't want to be there. Anyway, I still think ESPN got a very raw part of the deal, though. I mean, you know, it's it's you know, it's kind of like I was always saying, cheap. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're gonna split time uh, with not just not just ESPN, but they're also, uh, I believe USA Network is still TNT. going to have some sort of a bit of rights, or no, no, it's TNT. It's TNT. TNT. What does TNT know about hockey? Come on. Well, come on. Wouldn't you want to listen to Charles Barkley uh, uh, talk about uh, talk about hockey or pretend to Never. know? Pretend to talk like he knows about hockey. I don't know. I assume that the, that they you know they're going to hire uh, specific people. I hope to God they don't hire Pierre. Please no. Just well, no. They got Wayne Gretzky. Well, you see that right that right there is already uh, already enticing me to to watch a TNT broadcast if they're going to have Gretzky on there. You know, yeah. have people who are actually knowledgeable about the game and can be unbiased. Well, obviously, because that that's what makes good commentary. I mean, if you get, you know, just somebody who doesn't have a clue to what they're doing and is being biased, uh it doesn't work. I just can't picture yeah. TNT doing hockey. I mean, they've been in business for 30 years, and they've never covered hockey. Baseball, I get, because they have, you know, it's basically Atlanta. They have the Braves, yes. Um, college football, well, Georgia Tech, of course. 
I mean, well, the they, had, they have no they have no correlation with hockey. Yeah, I mean the Bra- the Braves make sense though when you think about it because TNT is sure. owned by Turner, and Turner, I mean hell, it's Turner Field out in Atlanta. Yeah, so. I'm sure. I mean, I mean, I remember. I remember before I got uh, TBS on my system here, we had like down the shore area and some other areas uh, with family members, and I used to watch some of those Braves games. Braves games in 1986. Like, I get to watch the Braves this whole season now. Thank you. Uh, you know, but uh, now they don't do Braves games anymore. You know, and I kind of miss that. But they, I mean, it makes sense that it makes sense to do you know some Atlanta Hawks games as well, or Georgia Tech basketball games. That I get, but they have no relation with the NHL. Yeah, it is kind of surprising when you consider the fact that uh, Turner Sports has been you know one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest uh, sports networks out there. And maybe it's because of the fact that they've sort of branched off of sports and they've gone more into entertainment, sort of, you know, by well, having... Uh, not for nothing, Steve, but that's how they started out, so I'm not surprised. Obviously. And by, by the way, I'm t- talking back of, in the early days. Uh, speaking of baseball, uh, DJ LeMahieu finally breaks through the armor of Nate Eovaldi with a solo homer, putting the Yankees on the board... Uh, trailing Boston right now four to one in the top of the eighth. Uh, Nate Eovaldi uh, is done after seven and two thirds innings. You know, it's really been a struggle for the Yankees this year. I don't know. I don't know what's up with. Uh, I don't know either. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know if it, if it's because of injuries or the fact that the team is underperforming, but. You know, there's way too much talent on this roster for for them to be at only forty and thirty five. Well, well at this at least point it's in above the year. But remember, in twenty nineteen, um, they were a they were a banged up unit, but they still managed, uh, you know, to to win and they went to the ALCS. I think the difference is though that in twenty nineteen they had a superb minor league system that was able to prom- yes. uh, get promoted to the major league system and it came from there. While our regular yeah. lineup was nothing more than a mash unit, this year I guess we don't have the same kind of talent in the mileage system, and that's why we're well. I can't say uh, tanking, but they're not you know what they what they were. Now forty and thirty-five yeah. isn't bad. I mean, let's get let's get one thing here. I mean, still about five hundred, and I can still be in contention for you know postseason spot. So let's not write them off dead yet. But oh, you know, no, no, there, no. Is, there no. is some key elements missing. I'll give you that. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm definitely I'm definitely not, you know, I don't take it as me writing them off. I'm not writing them off at all. Uh even though they are they are about four and a half games back in the wild card and five and a half in the division. It it just it just really seems like there's there's something missing with the with the Yankees this year. Considering the amount of talent that they have on that roster uh, yeah, it, it just it just sort of seems like they're kind of underperforming a little bit. Although it doesn't help either yeah. that they do have all these injuries. Uh, Corey Kluber, for example, he isn't expected to be back until August at the earliest. Uh, but according to according to MLB.com, Brian Hoke, uh, he could be out as late as September. I see. And four and a half, you know, you know, at this time of the season, 
you know, isn't isn't bad. I mean, it's not like it's four and a half with about a week and a half to go in the season. I mean, there's still plenty of time. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, it's definitely – there's still plenty of time. Uh, but there's a – lo- a lot of times there's all of these games you, – you could potentially look back at the season uh, when the season's done and be like, imagine if we had if we had somebody like Kluber during this stretch of games that he ended up missing – that could have maybe his starts could have potentially been the difference. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I'd be so happy. far, you know, he he has given the Yankees what they had hoped for in his ten starts this year: three a three point oh four ERA uh, in fifty three mm. and a third innings. Not to mention he threw a no hitter this year as well. Um, but. You know the shoulder strain is basically what what has derailed him so far this year, uh, and has put him on the shelf for more than half the year so far. Uh, now they've also lost uh, Zach Britton last night. Uh, he ended up going down with a hamstring injury, I think it was, and he's out for uh, or he's going to be put on the injured list. So. That's a huge, a huge uh, arm out of their bullpen that they'll be without for at least, I think it's the next ten days. What, what is the the injured list uh, now? Ten days. Ten. Yes. Yeah. So you know they'll be without him for the next ten days or so. It, it, it's just you know the injuries really seem to be piling on, and. It's a possibility, you know, what could what what could the team potentially have looked like if they had a full, healthy roster? Oh, they would blow the composition away. It wouldn't even close. Now, here's the question, though, Lou. Say yes. they end up missing the playoffs this year. Uh-huh. Is this the time? Is this the time? And I, I, I've I've seen people clamoring for I it think uh, I know to happen. Going. I've seen I've seen I've seen people clamoring it for it to happen on Twitter. Should the Yankees move on from Aaron Boone? Well, I only don't believe what Twitter says because I don't personally can't stand Twitter. But I would have to say, yeah, Boone will be on his way out if they don't make the postseason. Yeah, and actually, you know, uh, it's not just it's not just from Twitter. It's also uh, from Barstool, uh, uh, oh, what's man. it called, yeah. uh, Hubs, H- uh, Hubs, who who covers uh, the Yankees for Barstool. Uh, he's right. basically one of the one of those uh, one of those guys that's been calling for uh, for Boom Ped uh, for yes for the for the uh, for the slow start to the season this year. But obviously, you know, there's still a long way to go, obviously, but it's not looking good right now, Uh, especially with it seems like. I've seen worse than this. Oh, yeah, there's definitely been worse. There's definitely been worse years. Uh, I mean, I I remember it it wasn't that long ago, I believe, that the Yankees uh, finished one season close to the cellar, I believe, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm talking about where they were and they managed to come back. 
I mean, you know, I've seen from yeah. take like well, this is going back to when I was young, but nineteen seventy eight. They were fifteen games out. I remember there was no wild card back then, but somehow they managed to battle back and they won the uh American League East, they won the pen and they won the World Series that year. So this is nothing. Four and a half back at the at the uh in the last week of June, big deal. You can turn that around in a week and a True. half. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 all, it, it all depends. And also another thing too, with uh, with the with the MLB cracking down on uh, on substance yes. use, uh, you know, that could potentially play a role moving forward. I, did you see this past week? This past week, when they just started all these searches, uh, Max Scherzer. Apparently, well, yep. first off, Joe Girardi, Joe Girardi got ejected because he yeah. had the umpire shit. search. He, yeah, he went ape shit after having uh, <laughs> after having the umpires check him again, uh, check Scherzer for the third time. Scherzer basically yeah. stared at him uh, while you know while uh, while going back to his dugout. Yeah, and and then. Girardi threw this shit fit, and he ended up getting ejected. Then there was, I believe, was it Sergio Romo who also uh, literally yes. pulled his pants down? You know, when the umpire when the umpires uh, were gonna were gonna start checking. I mean, it, it is kind of getting a little bit ridiculous. Well, I think it's ridiculous that you search for three times in the same game. I mean, once is enough. Yeah. I mean, what are you trying to prove? And he's like, well, like I mean, yeah, you want a piece of me? Huh? You want a piece of me? Come on. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm, I, I mean, you know, it's obviously if you're a starter, you, you may get checked twice during the game, uh-huh. depending on how long, depending on how long you go into the game. Like if you're, if you're out there for five innings, six innings, maybe you'll get checked twice. But – Girardi, he just started piling on on uh, yeah. on Scherzer, making the umpires check him multiple times. It's kind of like, dude, it, there was there was nothing that uh, the umpires found nothing no. the previous two times. What the fuck do you think they're gonna find the third time? Yeah, I mean, it's getting ridiculous. You had to go back again and again. No. Now you're now you're just being now you're just being you know a complete dumbass. Yeah. By the way, it looks like uh, the College World Series finals are officially. It, it is official. It will be Vanderbilt against Mississippi State, or is it Mississippi or wow. is it Missouri? I think it's Mississippi. I think it's yeah Mississippi. But is it a shame that what happened in North Carolina State though? I know it. It is. It, 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 it's, a yeah. bit, it's a bit surprising. It's a bit. It's a bit surprising, honestly, how how this college world series even even came together to begin with. You know, the fact that uh, really the fact that the number one ranked Arkansas didn't even make oh, the yeah. tournament. And right. And actually, yeah, Vanderbilt ended up advancing because uh, the scheduled game today was ruled a no contest due to COVID protocols. I mean, it was yeah. It's 
You gotta you gotta feel bad for NC State. Oh, awful. That I really do. I mean, they were making a surge, you know, in last week, and they had a comfortable behind win. And look like they were gonna make a surge, and, uh, maybe even get to the college world series, and and and, and so abrupt. Yeah. Like I mean, it's 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 just a shame. So now it'll be Vanderbilt against Mississippi State beginning Monday at 7 p.m. on ESPN2. Game two will be on ESPN the very next night. And if necessary, game three will be on ESPN2 on Wednesday. Wow. The College World Series is going to final the same week. Wow. It's going to be a big week, uh, a big week for sports, and not just that, but also no, there's shit. the potential. There's the potential we could have, we could know at least one team for the NBA Finals, depending on if uh, probably if Phoenix ends up if Phoenix ends up winning tonight, which from what it looks like, I mean they have a 44 to 28 lead oh, yeah, over LA we're right back. now. Yeah, if. Uh, because I mean, let's let's face it. We, we weren't going to see Chris Paul and Derek uh, and Devin Booker have another piss poor game like they did in Game Three. No, but uh, I'll be honest with you too, Steve. I mean, without Kawhi Leonard, I don't think the Clippers have much of a chance. I mean, Chris Paul can't do this no. by himself. Yeah, yeah. And, and, goes you know, uh, and and it is actually uh, it is actually confirmed that it, it was ruled quote unquote highly unlikely that. Uh, Kawhi Leonard will suit up for game five. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's I, – I would be shocked if L.A. Uh, escapes Phoenix and, and brings uh-uh. it and brings the series back to L.A. I'd be very – I'd be very surprised. Uh, now, we'll obviously, a miracle. you know, L.A. can – LA can always come back tonight, but it's not looking good right now with, uh, with how yeah. their starting five is playing. No. I mean, according to this, like LA has only scored three points now in the third, in the third, second quarter. Jesus, yeah. You see, it's yeah. It, it really, it really shows you how much of a difference, uh, how much of a difference, you know, uh, Kawhi Leonard has on that roster. Absolutely. You know, when and, it comes to playoff time. You need your players healthy and healthy as they can get. Otherwise, uh, you're not you're not going to be able to you know uh, pull it off. You need to make the full effort. If one key yeah, player more, is out, that can change the whole game. That can change the whole series. Yeah, and you know the more the more uh, the more that I see this. Uh, the more games that this series goes, and Kawhi Leonard still doesn't play the more it makes me think that it is an ACL tear and not a UCL tear. Because for some reason, though, they seem to, they seem to still be putting him uh, as a day-to-day for some reason, as opposed to ruling him out for the remainder of the playoffs. So for some reason they said he could potentially play, but according to the most recent report, it seems highly unlikely that he will suit up for Game Five. 
which mm. pretty much rules that we're probably going to be, assuming Phoenix doesn't have a monumental collapse in game four here, we're probably going well, to be seeing Phoenix in the NBA Finals. Well, if it's anything we've seen in the last round where uh, the Sixers gave up a 26-point lead and Atlanta gave up a lead, uh, you never know. I mean, you you got to factor in that. Yeah. You know what? Let's I mean, we talk about yeah. that, by the way. Let's okay. talk about that because one of the big things that has come out of that series is the fact that Ben Simmons, in the fourth quarter of the entire series, only attempted five shots. Out of the whole series in the fourth quarter, and he went a perfect five five. Now, this is a kid who is who was supposed to have taken this gigantic step forward, and yes. it just seems obvious now that, you know, they're probably never going to win a, a championship. Watch, watch these words come back to bite me, by the way. Uh, but <sighs> it, just, it just seems like they are never going to win a championship with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid together. No, no. And I, I was speaking with Tim – uh, our our uh, Phillies 76ers and Flyers fan uh, in Sports <sighs> Whispers, and he basically told me that he believe he, he believed uh, heading into this postseason that it would be Ben Simmons's last with the uh, with the 76ers Where do you think if they don't. Enough? You know, one of the scenarios that has been put out there has been a swap with him and uh, and C.J. McCollum of the Portland Trailblazers. Ah. As a lot of people believe, or a lot of analysts believe, that uh, he would be a much better distributor of the ball to get Damian Lillard more looks in yeah. Portland. And especially with with Port with Portland hiring uh Chauncey Billups this uh this past week, you know, maybe perhaps Ben Simmons could potentially be uh a a, a difference maker in in Portland, you know, maybe well, perhaps he could turn things around. I, I, I shouldn't say turn things around because he still puts up big numbers during the regular season, but yeah. postseason he just he's, he completely wilted this postseason. Uh, yes. You know, maybe perhaps he could turn things around and maybe help get Portland out of the first round. But... Uh. According to according to uh, to Stephen A. Smith, Stephen A. Smith claims that Philadelphia has no interest in trading Ben Simmons. I heard, and he claims. Oh wait a minute! No, it's yeah, no. It says here that he reports that the Seventy Sixers that are the reports. Uh, that the 76ers are reportedly not open to trading Ben Simmons are false. 
and that calls have reportedly already been made between Philadelphia and Golden State, according to Stephen A. Smith. He said that Philadelphia is trying to claim that they're not interested in moving Ben Simmons. Let me tell you all something. That's a damn lie. That's a damn lie. It's just that they're not interested in getting trash back for him. And, you know, obviously that makes sense. That makes sense, you know, obviously. I wouldn't want to get trash back if if I was, uh, if, say, the no. Celtics were going to trade away Jalen Brown. You know, I would want to get a quality player back for him. Like, say, one of the, one of the big rumors has been potentially maybe the, the Celtics would make a move for Bradley Beal, which would involve sending yes. Jalen Brown uh, to Washington as part of, as part of the deal. You know, obviously, if you're gonna if you're gonna trade away Ben Simmons, you're not just gonna trade him away for anything. You're gonna want to get quality content and pro. I mean, quality players and probably draft picks back. Because absolutely, you 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 take a look at what he did this year. Yeah, okay, he had a down season. Uh, he he had a down season, averaging 14.3 points, 7.2 rebounds, 6.9 assists. Uh, and I, I say it's a down season, but compared to his previous mm-hmm. years, I mean, you know, last year he averaged 16.4 points, 8 assists, and 7.8 rebounds. So it is a little bit of a down season. And then again, though, you know, you want to talk about about uh, about epic busts from uh, from drafts. He is kind of being coached by Roy Hibbert, who is the director of player yeah. development, and we all know how Roy Hibbert was one of the biggest busts ever for uh, for the Indiana Pacers. So, yeah. you know, it's not like Simmons has really been getting taught by the best basically uh, out there in Philly. So now obviously one thing that that may hurt him is potentially uh having Sam Cassell leave Philadelphia as an assistant and instead uh mm. what the rumor is the rumor is that Sam Cassell is the front runner for the Washington Wizards job as head coach. Uh, my coach like that. Now, here's a question I so, got for you, and I think I beginning this sounds like a bit of a strange question, but um, you think now this is coming from a this is coming from a coach's um point. Is that Rivers cursed? You know, that is a that is a pretty valid question when you think about it because. You take a look at what he's done throughout his throughout his coaching career. Yes. Ever since ever since he was with Boston, he mm-hmm. hasn't led a team to the conference finals ever since. Nope. Ever ever since the Celtics lost to the Lakers in two thousand ten. Actually yes. no, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. Ever since they lost in the conference finals to, uh, I believe it was the Miami Heat back in back in 2011, 2012. Uh, you know, Doc, he hasn't been able to get past the semifinals. 
having made the semifinals uh, three times with the Clippers and, of course, making the semifinals this year with Philly. Maybe it's the fact that, you know, he just hasn't had the right mix of talent this year. Okay. Because, you know, he did win an NBA title with Boston and could have potentially had a second one two years later. So I think a lot of it has to do with the talent that's there because uh, one could argue that he actually helped propel Joel Embiid this year. Mm. To to uh, to the next level, basically. So, yeah. and being you know, said he wasn't his, himself in the final in the in the game seven final either. I'll give him that, but at the same time, I don't think you should punish yourself over that. I mean, you wouldn't. No. I mean, it's not like you 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 know got the loss yourself. I mean, he was really beating himself up after that loss in game seven. You know, last Sunday. Saying uh, my offense well, sucked and whatnot, and everything. Okay, maybe it did, but you don't have to blame yourself for that because you you shouldn't. I mean, it wasn't you that lost, for- you know? It was the whole team that lost. Yeah, don't, don't forget too. He was he was playing injured. That was a he, bad. He was dealing. He, he was dealing with a with a torn uh, a torn meniscus, I believe it was, a partially do that, torn meniscus. Do that. So. You know, I I I guess maybe he's sort of feeling the weight of the weight of the uh, of the Seventy Sixers uh, offense on his shoulders because he yeah. thinks with you know with Ben Simmons not really pulling his weight that he has to do everything. But mm-hmm. I mean, I I ju- I don't really know if I would. It's definitely not. Am all all on Embiid because no, I mean, no, of course not. Up, he he put up career numbers this year in points per game. He put up uh, career numbers in three point percentage as well as field goal percentage, uh, and actually free throw percentage as well. So it's not on Embiid. It you know that uh, here comes the conspiracy theorist in me again. It really <laughs> seemed like that entire series that the refs were just completely against Philadelphia. I mean, some Mm -hmm. of the calls that were, some of the calls that were made and some of the calls that were just completely ignored. It, it was very fishy. Yeah. Very skeptical. So I, I honestly, I think Embiid has, potentially have have uh have grown frustrated with mm. not just not just his teammates but also with the officials as well. Mm. Yes. Because when you look at it, Embiid is probably one of the biggest stars in the Eastern Conference right now. You would think he would at least get a few calls to go his way. But instead, he doesn't. He gets treated. He, uh, if I recall correctly, incarcerated Bob said this uh, on Twitter that he gets treated like a backup center 
in the summer league by these refs. Which is basically, you know, your your opinion means absolutely nothing to us. Right. So I I think it's going to be interesting to see if, first off, if Philadelphia moves on from Ben Simmons or if they're finally able to well. get Ben Simmons, if they're finally able to get Ben Simmons to not hesitate to shoot. Because that's literally his biggest problem is he hesitates to shoot. I mean, he was there was a wide open dunk right there for him, and instead he chose to pass it off. He chose to pass it off and let and let uh, Matisse Tibble take the shot, which didn't even come close. I mean, granted, maybe that dunk wouldn't have really mattered, but it's it's decisions like that you know, that sort of make you wonder what the fuck are you doing? Like what is wrong mentally? What is wrong mentally in your head that is making you hesitate like this? Yeah. So I, I, I mean, that, you know, when it when it comes to Doc Rivers, you asked if Doc Rivers is cursed. I don't think he's cursed because All right. you take a look at you take a look at his resume. I mean, yeah, he does have a lot of first round exits and a lot of semifinals exits in his career, uh, a ninety eight and ninety four record in the playoffs. Uh, but you take you also take a look at his regular season record. You know, uh, nine hundred ninety two and seven oh four with a career win percentage of 58.5%. A lot of that has to do with the fact that he was on two absolutely horrific Boston teams uh, in, in two of his first three years in Boston, where one year he went 33 and 49, and the next year he went 24 and 58 before Boston ended up – before Boston ended up picking up Garnett and Allen to join Paul Pierce. So, and not just that, they also revamped their bench that year too. So I, I wouldn't exactly say that Doc Rivers is cursed because out of the, and also keep in mind before he even joined Boston, out of the three out of the five years, that he was in Orlando. Actually, no, you could say four out of the five years that he was in Orlando. He was 500 or better. I think a lot of it has to do with the talent that he's coaching. I think probably the biggest thing that they have to work on this year, if they do choose to hang on to to Ben Simmons, is to get him to stop hesitating. If they can get him to stop hesitating and be confident in his shot, you know, they, many people have said it. Ben Simmons has all the tools to become a smaller version of LeBron James. Ever since, ever, since, ever since he came out of college. 
you know, they've said they've said it all all along. He's had the tools to potentially be the next LeBron James and be a guy that would absolutely take over take over games. But for some reason, he's just been absolutely hesitant ever since uh, ever since joining the NBA, and I don't know why. But what do you think about this second series, uh, Milwaukee and, and Atlanta? Last yeah, night, I the thought... first thing I – go ahead. On paper, you know, it looks like, you know, you know, a very attractive series. I mean, you got, you know, you got Trey Young, which of course is the star of the future in the NBA, and then of course you got well, the Greek freak. So that was, that, yeah. you know, that was going to be a very attractive matchup. Um, viewers wise, uh, no, because you know they're not, you know, really big markets. They don't much of a fan base. But um, obviously, Atlanta is very dangerous, especially Trey Young. If Trey Young stays in this game, you know, I think they're going to, you know, surprise everybody. I mean, like you said, we have a Cinderella team, and this is the Cinderella story uh, in the NBA playoffs this year. Greek Freak doesn't seem all that yeah. impressive to me this year. So uh, I got I got to give it to Atlanta, even though they beat my Knicks. Thank you very much, you dirty no good son of a bitch. Yeah, you know with with, with Trey Young, yeah. he has shown he has shown during this playoff run that he can go off at any moment. And okay, if you try if you try to limit Trey Young, like there was one night I believe it, I believe it might have been Game Seven actually against the Sixers. Where yes. Trey Young was was having an off night, and instead, it was Kevin Huerter who was going off, and I believe he had like a twenty four point night or something, uh, the his highest scoring night as a member of the Atlanta Hawks. You know they have players who can take over games at certain points regardless of whether they're starting or whether they're on the bench. You know, Danilo Gallinari, let's not forget, he at one point was starting for the for the Nuggets, I think it was, uh, before he ended up signing in Atlanta. You know, they got Cam Reddish, who, uh, who isn't that bad off the bench either. They have no. people that they can go to uh, if, if, some, if, if, say, Trey Young is having an off night. I mean, granted, those nights yes. are rare that he has off nights, but uh, game three for, or I mean, game two, for example, that was an off night for him. 15 points. Uh, he was only shooting one of eight from three point range. And, you know, he just, he also had nine turnovers as well. So, definitely a, a huge off night for Atlanta or for, for Trey Young. In game two, I would expect that game three will be a lot, a lot more closer compared to what we saw yeah. uh, in game two, with the uh, 34-point loss to the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. And obviously, on paper, it looks when you would look at it on paper, looking at the two rosters. Anybody would think, oh, the, Milwaukee's going to run away with this. I mean, look at the look at their roster compared to Atlanta. Oh, I didn't look think at so. their. 
and you know look at their record uh 46 and 26 against i think what was it 41 and 31 you know just looking at their record uh Milwaukee just seemed like they would be mile, they would be miles ahead of uh of Atlanta but i mean you, you take a look at that Milwaukee Bucks roster too you know, you have Giannis, who obviously is their LeBron, basically. Uh, Chris Middleton, he can potentially take over any game. Same with Drew Holiday. Hell, Drew Holiday in game one had 33 points. Uh, they got Bobby Portis, who is a very underrated pickup at the deadline. Yes, yes. I think Bobby Portis could provide some very huge minutes off of the bench uh, if given the opportunity for uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks. And obviously, you know, Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lopez he, he has his off nights, but he's still – I honestly believe that it, if it was Philadelphia instead of Atlanta, I think Brooke Lopez would have potentially given Joel Embiid some problems. Oh, hell yeah. Especially with uh, with his with his uh, his aggressive style that he uses, but yeah, you know, I th- I think this should this should be a very interesting series and see to to see how the rest of this series goes because if Trey Young is able to be consistent, like hell, uh, game one Trey Young had forty eight points. John Collins yeah. had 23 points. Yeah, it's 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 like I said, at any on any night, any one of these players can potentially take over a game for Atlanta. So I think it's if you're if you're Atlanta, the question is, can you limit Milwaukee to? You know, maybe to the to the point of where, I mean, hell, in game two at the end of the third quarter, Milwaukee already had a hundred points. Can you right. limit Milwaukee to where at least in the fourth quarter, just like game one in the fourth quarter? I think you could. You're at least in striking range. I think you could. I don't think I don't think it's difficult to do. Now, if they can do that. Then I think that we I think that we we will have a very interesting series uh, the rest of this series the final five games. If they can't though, then it's entirely possible this this series could potentially be over in five. You just said the magic word, Steve. What five? If. Yeah, if. That's always the magic word. I don't know. It's it'll be very interesting though because oh no question. You know it, it's it's weird that these two rosters are so they look evenly put together. Yet you take a look at both of their record, both of the team records, and forty six and twenty six against forty one and thirty one. It just seems. Yeah. It just seems weird that it's kind of it's kind of a little lopsided like that. Um 
going into the coaching carousel, as I like to call it here. Yes. We had we had quite a lot of movement this uh, this past week, and starting with the starting with the team that basically started up this whole process, the Boston Celtics. They finalized a deal to hire Mets assistant Ime Udoka as the franchise's new head coach. Uh, He separated himself very quickly in Brad Stevens' search for a new coach, uh, as many Celtics players were reportedly impressed uh, with him after working uh, under Udoka for Team USA back in 2019. Uh, Udoka was was on the Mets this year, obviously, but he has also had stints with the Spurs for seven years, including a championship under Greg Popovich back in 2014. And he also coached one season right. under Brett Brown in Philadelphia as well with right, the 76ers. Right. Uh, so this, I mean, this will be his first head coaching job in the NBA. He did play in the league previously. Uh, from in 2004, and then again in from 2006 to 2011, before he ended up joining the Spurs as an assistant back in 2012. Now, supposedly, uh, he gained a lot of support from stars Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart. Time with uh, with Team USA, so they were huge in the decision-making for uh, for the next Celtics head coach. And with the rumors that they basically chased Brad Stevens out as head coach, and from all indications, all indications are that Ime Udoka is a player's type of manager, a player's type of coach to where – He'll be able to motivate players. He'll be able to get them, uh, you know, to uh, to motivate them. And considering where Boston finished this season, do you think it's possible that maybe perhaps Boston can turn things around next year and – they may be back in the mix in, in, in the mix of all of it. Mm, I would. It's hard to say, really. Boston hasn't been, you know, they were used to be. But I think with the right with the right trades and whatnot, I think maybe they could find us a contention. Uh, being I'm a Knicks fan, of course, uh, I wouldn't want to see it happen. But I think it's doable. Yeah, no offense. You know. It, it's kind of weird, though. It's kind of weird because there were reports that that players basically shut out Brad Stevens uh, from yeah. their minds, like they like they they chose not to listen to him during the season, which is kind of odd considering the fact that Jason Tatum he put up a couple of fifty point games uh, through different plays that Brad Stevens put together, so. You know, it's. I guess the question is: is was it more? Were their struggles this season more of a case of them just tuning out the coach and not really caring about this season? Or happens a lot. Was it, or was it more of a fact that they just didn't have the talent this year to 
actually mm. be a legitimate contender. Yeah. I would say be more of not having talent than not giving a cat to ask. Because they did lose talent, Gordon you know. Hayward. Yes. They they did they did lose Gordon Hayward in the off season. He ended up going to Charlotte, obviously. Uh, they did lose yes. Brad Wanamaker, who was pretty big off of the bench for them the past two years. Uh, he ended up going to Golden State, and I believe he finished with the Bulls. I think I I forget, or it was the Bulls or the Wizards, maybe, because uh, he was traded at the trade deadline this year. I think it was the Wizards, uh, but. But they they did lose some key players from from the roster last year, so you know may, maybe it is it is possible that it was more of the lack of talent and the fact that the fact that they were de- that they had more first and second year players on their bench mm-hmm. as opposed to you know, veterans who could, who could provide depth. You need veterans. Uh, yeah, obviously, you know, they had it with, uh, they had depth uh, with, hang on, what's his name on the, who's now with the Bucks. They had, they had Jeff Teague to start the year this year. Oh yeah. Before he ended up before he ended up getting released. Uh, they they ended up releasing him, allow, allowing him to uh, enter the buyout market, and then he ended up uh, he ended up signing with uh, with Milwaukee. So you know they and obviously you know they had brought in Tristan Thompson to provide uh, some veteran some veteran leadership, and of course that has absolutely blown up in his face uh, or in their face, I should say, uh, this year this past year. So, you know, there's there's basically been a whole bunch of reasons, but yes, you know, Ime Udoka, the fact that he is okay. he has previously played he's previously played in the league before, you know, he won right. an NBA title under Greg Popovich. Uh, he was actually a very key assistant this year for uh, for Steve Nash apparently in Brooklyn. So maybe perhaps Udoka will actually be able to to really uh, to turn this team around, basically. Oh, that was a bad strikeout by Judge. Bad strikeout indeed. Sox take game two, four to two over the New York Yankees. That was that was a ball the entire way. I don't know why Judge swung. Mm-hmm. Dick Wing. Uh, and Adam Ottavino picks up the save in this uh, in this scenario here, uh, only for him. And Garrett Whitlock actually, uh, this is probably one of the going back to to baseball for a minute here. Garrett Whitlock, you know, he was a throw in in that Ottavino deal. Yes. It, that was basically the Yankees saying, "Please take take a prospect." Just to get out of Eno's contract off of our hands, for the love of God, please. And yes, do us a favor. And they basically gave Garrett Whitlock to the Sox for free, and Whitlock has probably been their best reliever in the bullpen this year. Right. 
So, I don't. Well, actually, let's see. Here's the. Yep. Uh, Nate Eovaldi gets the win, improves to eight and four. The loss goes to Montgomery, who falls to three and two. And Adam Adovino picks up his fifth save of the year. From what it says here. Now I'm going to try to switch over to. I believe it's. No, it's not TNT. It's ESPN tonight. Uh, that the NBA playoffs are on. Yes. Uh, all right. Now, this next hiring, kind of a bit of a surprise to me because I really thought that the Pacers were going to go with Terry Stotts. I was really shocked to find out that the Pacers mm-hmm. decided instead to go with Rick Carlisle as their next head coach which is kind of funny and kind of maybe kind of ironic when you think about it because back back when the Pacers were part of the malice at the palace with the uh with the Detroit uh Pistons back in the Ron Artest years guess who was the coach for the Pistons at that time uh, it was Carlisle yep. so now he's on the other side of the fence this time with the with the uh, with the Pacers, and apparently it's a four year deal worth about uh, twenty nine million dollars to coach the Pacers, and it's actually his second run with the franchise uh, after serving as their head coach. From actually no no he was he was the head coach of the Pacers uh, during that whole uh, brawl then because he served as their head coach previously from 2003 to 2007 and malice at the palace was correct me if i'm wrong 2004 i think yes okay yeah so yeah he was the head coach of the pacers then so this will be his second go around um decided instead of instead of going for a first another first time head coach considering they just dealt with one in nate bjorkgren uh, and watching that move fail in spectacular fashion, uh, they decided to go the experience route this time for a roster that's headlined by Malcolm Brogdon, DeMontis Sabonis, uh, Miles Turner, and Karis LeVert. Uh, Rick Carlisle obviously bring, definitely brings that experience. Uh, an NBA champion, uh, hell, I don't I think most of his career with uh with with Dallas I believe was uh was in the playoffs for the most part. So this is probably the best option that they could that they could have uh that they could have gone with here uh hiring Rick Carlisle over Terry Stotts considering Stotts apparently is the king of first round exits. Uh, considering his time in Portland, of course. Uh, what are your thoughts, Lou, on on Rick Carlisle uh, rejoining the Pacers? Yeah. Is he going to change any results thinking they can make, make a playoff this year? Because, you know, kind of surprising that without him, you know, I think he's horrible this year. So is he going to be able to turn the forces around for this team? Which I was very surprised at. Well, you know the, the what's 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 different here is with Indiana, they were sort of in the same boat as Boston, yeah. Where where the players 
seemingly tuned out uh, Nate Bjorkren and his staff. And actually, if anything, his staff had problems with him during the season as well. So it really seemed like Bjorkren was pretty much the, the big problem uh, in Indiana. And granted, they did make the play-in tournament, but you know they're a lot. Their roster is a lot better than thirty-four and thirty-eight. Now, granted, they did give up Oladipo, but they did also get Karis LeVert from Brooklyn uh, in part of that three-team deal, essentially. So, you know, there's definitely enough talent on that roster to where they could make they could make a potential playoff run. I mean, they got Miles Turner who is honestly I'm shocked that he wasn't put up for defensive player of the year because it seemed like he was a front runner for pretty much most of the year for defensive player of the year. Uh, you know, they got DeMontis Sabonis who is probably their top scorer. Uh, Doug McDermott is actually a pretty good uh, a pretty good option as well. Thirteen point six points mm-hmm. per game this year. Uh, you know he was one of the guys that Danny Ainge apparently said no to for a potential uh, for a potential deal involving Gordon Hayward that would have sent Miles Turner and Doug McDermott to Boston, and apparently he didn't want that. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's just way too much talent on this roster that for them to go 34 and 38 honestly stunned me. So I I definitely think bringing in a, an experienced coach like Rick Carlisle, who obviously has respect around the league. He's one of the most, one of the, the highest respected coaches around the league. I don't think that I don't think that uh, the players are going to give him any problems. So I think you're probably you're probably looking at a at a uh, at a nice rebound this year for the Pacers. I would be absolutely shocked if they're not in the mix this year under Carlisle. Um. Next on the coaching carousel, the Dallas Mavericks, they have agreed to terms with Jason Kidd to become the team's next head coach. Uh, Also, Nico Harrison, who was a former Nike executive, will also serve as the Mavericks' new general manager and run basketball operations as well. Uh, Kidd's contract is reportedly a four-year deal according to Shams Sharania of The Athletic. And Kidd comes into uh, Dallas, or comes back to Dallas, I should say, after having previously played there as a, as a player, uh, with a career coaching record of 183 and 190 as a head coach, having last coached in Milwaukee from 2014 to 2018 before spending a couple of years as a uh, as an NBA assistant. And also, according to the Athletic, it is expected that Jason Kidd will hire JJ Berea uh to his coaching staff and also Jason Terry may be a potential addition to their staff as well. Berea last played for the Mavericks back in 2020 before playing this season in Puerto Rico. 
and Jason Terry is currently an assistant coach at his alma mater, which which is Arizona University. However, both Terry and Berea were teammates of Kidd in 2011 when the Mavericks won their only championship in franchise history. Yes. So it really seems like with with recent moves that they've done with uh, Dirk Nowitzki joining the uh, joining the club in a special advisor role and Michael Finley uh, joining the front office. He's another another former Maverick. It really it seems like they're 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 putting together basically a staff of former players, a former Dallas Maverick players that know how the organization runs and they know what their philosophy has been over the years. Well, what do you think? What do you think about Jason Kidd coming back home to da- coming back to Dallas? Uh, I mean, there's been there's been a whole bunch of other options out there on the table too, but a big factor in this seems to be that Rick Carlisle endorsed Jason Kidd uh, to be the to be the new Mavericks head coach, and they say he can't go home again. Uh. Apparently he is. But, you know, it's I, – I wouldn't really say it's a surprise to me because, honestly, no. I think that Jason Kidd – I honestly think Jason Kidd should have been should have been a coach even the last couple of years considering yes. what he was uh, – a lot of people – a lot of people credit him for uh, for developing – Giannis Antetokounmpo into the player that he is today because of his time there in Milwaukee, the first couple of years of his, uh, of Giannis's career. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people are saying that, you know, there should be, uh, they should have, they should have gone and hired, you know, and it's not, it's not just Dallas, uh, but also all these, there's a lot, uh, a lot of people claiming that uh, teams who are looking for head coaches this year are basically using the names of of like Carol Lawson and Becky Hammond as a way uh, as sort of oh, good, as sort of good PR basically to try and yeah. make them look like they actually give a shit about diversity and you know wanting to uh, potentially become the first sure. team to hire a female head coach. Uh, only to then go and hire a male head coach, and but honestly, though the kid hiring makes sense because he won a title with Dallas. He knows how the he knows how how the organization likes to run their teams. So why go elsewhere where there's not that much familiarity with the organization? Yeah. And instead, go to Dallas, where because of his previous time with Dallas, he might actually have a bit of a security blanket there. So, what what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, familiar territory. You know, he's been a coach there. He won a championship there. Do I think do it for us, not the Nets? But uh, you know, I think this. I think this might have been the right move. 
I definitely yeah. think that when you take a look at the other candidates, I mean, obviously the thing with Dallas is they joined late into the race because, I mean, obviously, number one, that, you know, they were in the playoffs uh, to start off with. But, you know, the Carlisle decision didn't really come uh, until last week, actually. Uh-oh, this is bad news for L.A. Ifika Zubach, he may have he, – he required assistance to get up. Oops. Let's see, did he tweak – he might have tweaked either his ankle or his knee on that on that dunk attempt. I think it was his ankle. Uh, he looks fine now, though. Yeah. But it it it, it, it looked pretty bad uh, when he was when he was first getting uh, getting helped up because it looked like he uh, yeah it looked like he was limping at first, but he looks to be fine now. All right, so good news. But yeah, you know when it when it comes to Jason Kidd uh, with uh, with with Dallas, you know the fit makes sense because he 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 has a history of being with the team before, and it, you know how Mark Cuban is. Cuban doesn't really like change for the most no, part. He So it's it makes sense for Dallas to go with somebody that they already know, as opposed to hiring hiring somebody from outside the organization. I mean, granted, uh, Kid was also outside the organization, but he had spent time in Dallas before, and also. You know, he he probably out of all the candidates except for uh, except for Terry Stotts, although I never saw Terry Stotts even going to 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 Dallas to begin with. You know, he has probably yeah. the best. He probably has the best resume as opposed uh, to Terry, uh, other than Terry Stotts. Steve, I think we may have to eat our words here. Yeah, I was about to say, uh, it's real. Oh. No, there was a there was a foul call though on that on that shot attempt by uh, by Devin Booker. You know what? Yeah. I'm going I'm going to uh, to segue into this because uh, yes, from what we just saw there with Devin Booker sort of leaning into uh, sort of leaning into the to the defender when making his shot. Apparently, there are going to be new rules that are going to be set. Uh, beginning, I believe, next year, actually, when it comes to when it comes to the NBA uh, and how they call certain fouls. Well, they should. And I get a lot of this comes off of the fact that uh, you know you, you've seen stars previously abuse uh, their star status, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. By, uh, by knowing what, what certain moves will draw fouls. 
And actually, it's a, according to a report by Shams Charania, uh, the changes could go into effect in time for the Las Vegas Summer, Summer League season in August. With officials will receive training to properly call specific actions that players use in, a te- in an attempt to generate favorable calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, uh, when shooter when a shooter launches or leans into a defender at an abnormal angle, or a shooter the shooter kicks his leg at an abnormal angle or the offensive player abruptly veers off of the path, either sideways or backwards, into a defender. So basically it's those, you know, some of those fouls that we've seen uh, in previous previous games that have just, you know, you, you look at it and just go, how the hell are you going to call that a foul and not a flop? When it's very obvious that it's a, that it's a flop. Yes. And in particular, uh, so why are you fouling Booker there? I do not, you know, I, I don't understand some of the, uh, yeah, I don't get that maybe, it's, maybe it's to stop his momentum, but you had at least two defenders back there. I don't understand why you're fouling Booker. I believe he, I believe they're in the bonus too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why are you putting him back at the free throw line? Is it because he's missed two tonight? Maybe the only two all series. I don't understand that. Uh, but I, I'm looking at a reply to uh, to this to this story here, and somebody said this can this adjustment could ruin the following players who abuse this: James Harden, Damian Lillard, Trey Young, yeah. Chris Paul, and Luka Doncic. This can harm certain players who may occasionally do these types of movements like Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, Donovan Mitchell, and Kevin Durant. And honestly, you know, it's it's about time that the NBA has finally stepped uh stepped up these uh these uh you know changing of the rules because it's been blatantly obvious in 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 certain games that certain players like James Harden and Trey Young uh have been among the notable players to have been accused of hunting for fouls and manipulating their bodies in an attempt to get referees to blow the whistle. So it says here that the NBA's new rules will result in these movements either being called an offensive foul or the, or the officials just won't blow the whistle. So what, what are your thoughts, uh, Lou, on this, on this crackdown uh, for, that the NBA is doing here? Oh, you had to change some of the rules. I don't think some of it you know, makes a lot of sense. So I, I think they're going to have, you know, the, the fouls and, you know, Nicole, I don't, you know, I think they, I think they kind of, you know, they get screwed up, 
and it really makes for you know a bad officiating as well. But then again, the officiating has usually been bad. You know, the refs you know really are screwing things up. So they do need to they do need to change it. All right, uh, we're bringing in uh, JB here. JB is joining us uh, just in time for the overtime hour here. How are you doing tonight, JB? Good evening. I'm doing fine. Hi. Hey, JB, we've been uh, we've been talking about uh, the NBA looking to crack down on on certain movements that are being called that are being called for fouls. Really, it's basically players uh that are abusing these movements in order in order to try in order to try and draw fouls during uh during games and you get i mean you can kind of uh you can kind of uh equate it a little bit to uh major league baseball players you know using that spider tack to try and get extra velocity on their on their fastball or something or, or any of their pitches. Uh what are your thoughts, JB, on on uh the NBA finally after after years and years of flops uh being called for fouls, now all of a sudden it seems like the NBA is now starting to crack down uh on certain players, you know, getting getting these calls that shouldn't even be called. I, I, I think, uh, I agree with, uh, uh, who, who's the other person that, uh, with is with, with us. Lou. Lou. With Lou. Uh, yeah. I think I, I think I caught it right at the, uh, right at the end where he was saying, uh, something about the, uh, you know, officiating. And I seem to uh, I, I seem to agree with that. Yeah, I mean it, it, it has gotten ridiculous uh, to the point of where you know it could be there could be a close game going on, and you know players will be able to to get a foul called by basically maneuvering their body into a certain position to where contact will be made whether it's leaning into a leaning into a defender as they're trying to make the shot or or whatever 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 way that they that they can try to get contact made basically and it's led to a lot of criticism around the league to where some star players have actually been looked at league wide as some of the biggest offenders actually uh, of these, uh, you know, of, of, of the, of being these type of players will basically hunt for foul calls. And, and you correct have- I was going to say, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I have watched uh, a few basketball games. Uh, I guess it's towards the end, uh, right before watching uh, like a UFC fight, and 
they've gone like uh, all the the last uh, minute and it seems like it, it seems like uh you know instead of just playing the game they're causing uh you know fouls and all you yeah. see the last minute or or the last two minutes all you see is uh free throws well to be fair that is kind of the how the game goes you know the the closer you get towards the end of the game you know that you want to try and get as many possessions as possible to where you may see some teams if they're behind by like four or four or five points or something like that to where they're still within striking range you may see them intentional intentionally foul certain players in order to try and, you know, obviously those players will then shoot free throws and then they would get the ball uh, or potentially get the ball uh, on a, uh, on a rebound. You know, if the player misses the second shot, right. uh, you know, to try and basically get as many possessions as possible. So that's why within the last two minutes, you know, you see, sometimes you see, you see many fouls, but there, there are occasions where, you know, if you're down by a certain amount of points within the last two minutes of an NBA game, you will see some star players try to try to flop and basically get get certain shots, or not not certain shots, but try to get like uh, try to get and one basically yeah. uh, to get a foul along with the shot if the shot goes in. Uh. Let me let me ask you something. Is this what you were talking about, or were you referring to uh, something else? No, this is what uh, mm. what's it called? We we were we were discussing this um, before you came on the air. Okay. Yes. Yeah, we were we were in the middle of discussing it uh, before, uh, right as you. Uh, Right as you came on air, actually. And by the way, JB, uh, just a uh, programming note. Uh, I have not been informed yet uh, for Jim, uh, by Jim as to whether or not uh, we will have a show this Thursday or not. Um, because of the fact that we're probably going to have the cast assessment for uh, Big Brother this upcoming okay. Friday. It's entirely possible because uh, I think Jim is going to be back in Arkansas either Thursday or Friday. So he he said he's going to make a decision as to whether or not we're even going to have a podcast on Thursday night. So, but so far I haven't heard anything. Okay, I can let uh, I can let uh, Eddie know then. Yeah. But as soon you know, as soon as we do, as soon as I do hear something, obviously you know either I'll post, either I'll message you guys and say no podcast, or uh, you know there will be an advertisement that'll be posted if there is one. Okay, I'll have to uh, 
you know, I, I haven't really been uh, checking as often as I should, but uh, I will uh, make it a point to do that this week. Okay. 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 Uh, Lou, there is two multiple reports. There are multiple NBA executives that apparently do not see Spencer Dinwiddie returning to the Nets next season. I see. Yeah, I heard that, too. Because apparently it says here that he'll have a high salary number, and also it uh, it doesn't help either that he uh, ended the season injured. No, it doesn't. And it said, uh, according to uh, one NBA executive uh, who was speaking to Michael Scotto of HoopsHype.com, uh, they said Dinwiddie seems like he's leaving. Uh, hang on. Dinwiddie seems like he's leaving. He'll have a high salary number. I don't see him staying regardless. I don't get the sense that he wants to be there. Uh, as reports have said that Dinwiddie is likely seeking a deal in the high teens in terms of annual salary, but could be seeking a deal in the four-year $85 million range, which is similar to that of Fred Van Vliet of the Toronto Raptors. And considering how much money they've already invested in Kyrie Irving, uh, which actually may not be that much longer, but uh, with the money they've invested in Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, I would find it very hard to think that they're going to be able to commit up to $20 million for uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. And it says it's unlikely that they would be able to re-sign him unless the two sides worked out a sign-and-trade, which a lot of people do believe is definitely on the table. And not just that, but uh, going into Kyrie Irving, the reason why I said maybe not for long is because the Nets have reportedly grown frustrated over Kyrie Irving's antics this past season because of the fact obviously we're all in a COVID, uh, a COVID era in terms of, in terms of, uh, you know, not just sports, but or you know, not just basketball, but sports in general. And apparently Kyrie literally did not give a shit at all this year about uh, the COVID protocols to where apparently he broke protocol multiple times uh, by going to like going to to these get together uh, multiple get-togethers while not wearing a mask, and it's not just the team, but apparently there have been certain teammates that have apparently become fed up with him. So it looks like there's a possibility Kyrie Irving could be on the trade market this year or this offseason. Not surprised. Not surprised. I mean, you know, you said this. Was it last week or what? Yeah, I think it was last week or maybe it was the week before uh, that if Brooklyn didn't, didn't advance, that this was probably their only shot that they had of, of winning an NBA title 
with this with this uh, core three of Irving, uh, Durant, and Harden. Now with this news coming out, oh, see, we just saw it right now. We just saw it right now. I believe that was Chris Paul that tried to uh, yep. that tried to draw contact. No, that wasn't Chris Paul. Uh, somebody on the uh, on the Suns. Who was that? Oh, that was Mikael Bridges. He tried to draw contact uh, for a foul there, and that was just ruled an offensive foul. Uh, but you know, it, it, does it kind of does it kind of seem like? Uh, Tyree Irving may have run his course in the two years that he's been in Brooklyn. Yes, especially this year with all the injuries and whatnot. I feel like he didn't want to play. I, I we gotta get rid of him. And now, obviously, there's you know there's been no there's been no uh, direction that has really said that you know Kyrie Irving is officially on the on the trade market, but. Uh, or whether or not there would even really be a trade market for him. But, I mean, if there is, that would potentially open up the possibility that maybe Spencer Dinwiddie could return to Brooklyn next year and probably beyond uh, with with a potential Kyrie move. But, you know, it, 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 it really seems like with just with the antics that we've seen out of Kyrie, uh, not just with his time in Boston, but also his time in Brooklyn, it really just it seems like ever since he stepped out of the shadow of LeBron, that he's basically he basically feels like he's he's this tough guy, you know he's he's the hot shit in town basically. Yeah. I mean, we uh, we even saw it, we saw it when uh, when Brooklyn went to went to Boston, where he uh, he did the uh, the scraping the shit off of the shoe move by uh, by wiping his shoe over the over the face of Lucky the Leprechaun on center court. You know, I would not be surprised at all if that report is indeed true, and that the Nets have grown frustrated with Kyrie Irving's antics. And, you know, a lot, there are, there have been some people that called his ankle injury karma postseason because of, uh, because of his antics. But I don't know. It's, I do. I do think this could potentially get uh, quite a bit interesting because it could have a ripple effect on the uh, on the Brooklyn Nets organization. Because another thing you got to take into account too, you have two stars there originally, and Kyrie and Durant both wanted to play with each other. They wanted to play on the same team. How do you think Kyrie felt when Brooklyn called for James Harden? Yeah, you know now you're not the number two guy. You could potentially be now the number three guy on that roster yes. with the addition of Harden. 
I mean, I wouldn't be shocked at all if if uh, Kyrie Irving basically checked out immediately following that. Me would I. I mean, JB, what what do you think? Because this would be kind of like, say, in a Survivor game, if if you and Jim were, if you and Jim, you know, were in the same alliance on a tribe, and then that tribe all of a sudden, that or that alliance all of a sudden brings in somebody else from that tribe into that alliance, and that they basically sort of start to overshadow you or, or overshadow you or Jim in the original alliance that you were a part of, you know, wouldn't you, wouldn't you be, uh, be sort of feeling, you know, like if you were, wouldn't you be sort of feeling like Kyrie right now to where you'd be like, well, why the hell should I, you know, why the hell should should I, uh, should I really put my all into it if, you know, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna go from being the number two option to being the number three option now. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I mean, it 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 just doesn't really uh, doesn't really make sense at all. Now, there was uh, actually a bit of a, I guess you could call it a heroic uh, thing that happened earlier this week. As we all know about the uh, about the horrifying collapse yeah. that happened in Miami with the, uh, the two, two-thirds of a condo ended up collapsing. Uh, and we've started to see different players from uh from all of the Miami sports teams come out and try to assist with not just search and rescue but also uh with uh hand with, with hand handling food and water to those who need it. Uh Tyler Harrow, for example, from the Miami Heat. Uh Miami Heat assistant coach Chris Quinn and also I believe uh Eric Spolstra also helped out as well. Uh, they also got help from uh, Jerome Baker and uh, Jalen Waddle of the Miami Dolphins, uh, helping uh, helping out earlier yesterday as well. I mean, it's quite it was quite a sight to see. But I don't know have Have you guys seen uh, the video of that yet? No, I I haven't. No. I mean, it looks so weird. You know, there was, it was one of those big gigantic condos that, one of those gigantic condo complexes that. I saw a bit of that. Yes, I did. Yeah, it almost looks like one of those buildings, uh, you know, like uh, overseas. Kind of, yeah. It does. And, you know, it it was eerily reminiscent of the Twin Towers. Back in uh, back in 2001, mm. when they colla- when they collapsed like they did, and yeah, 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. and it, it you know it, it led a whole bunch of people to wondering you know what how the hell could this have uh, could this have happened? And apparently there were a lot of structural issues 
com- uh, considering what what has come out recently over the past uh, couple of days, uh, apparently there were a lot of structural issues with the building that were completely ignored. Going uh, going back to a report uh, that was done in tw- in 2018, I think. Yeah, I think uh, now, within the uh, next coming days, you're going to see a lot of, uh, well, yeah, I know there's like at least, what, well, close to uh, 200 people missing. And oh, is it, is I'm sure, to, I'm sure you're going to, uh, I'm sure we're going to see a lot of those missing come up uh you know actual casualties and within probably i'd say a month i i i can see a lot of uh uh oh my brain is my brain is uh dying i think we're going to see a lot of uh lawsuits if there haven't been oh, any already. Yes. How I definitely think so. If I if I was you know, if I was staying there and knowing the reports that have come out about the uh about the condition that the building was in hell yeah, I'd be, I'd definitely I would definitely be suing uh uh the landlord or whatnot. If I was yeah, they uh, said those the... people yeah, they said it was uh, sinking like uh, what, like a, a couple a couple millimeters uh, every year, and it's like <laughs> if they know that, then uh, they got access to uh, a lot of other uh, information too. Yeah, well, then at that point, if it was sinking, if anything, you know, that was that was negligence on the owner's part. Yes. And, yeah, and I'd be, uh, and I, I'd, I'd be suing even if, uh, you know, I had a friend of mine or uh, you know a loved one that uh, that came out of it, uh, you know, uh, that came out of it alive. Uh, you know, I, I'd be one that would be uh, pressing him or her to, uh, you know, file a lawsuit also. Oh yeah, definitely. And, uh, and especially, especially if you were somebody that was that ended up coming out of the wreckage, if you're somebody that was trapped oh, in that yeah. wreckage, uh, apparently, apparently they've uh, there's still well over a hundred people unaccounted for. I didn't know it got up right. to two hundred, but um, I know there's so far at least the last I looked, there were five deaths. I think. Uh, so far, and I don't know the exact number that are currently unaccounted for. I think it's but, around like a hundred and fifty, something like that, that are missing. I mean, regardless, though, you know, it's just it, okay. Yeah, yeah. It says here at least a hundred and fifty-six remain missing huh. uh, according to according to CNN here and four of the five victims killed in the collapse have officially been identified so far God. 
and 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 it looks like a, a scene from. I don't want to, you know. It just looks like a scene from, uh, you know, from uh, a foreign country or something like that. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, and it's, it's uh, you know, it's our own, uh, you know, United States. Yeah. It, it just looks so <laughs> weird when you think about it that that whole building was there and now two-thirds of it are missing. Yeah, or two thirds of it are now are, are now uh, occupy the ground basically. Right. Yeah. And when you were but saying something about the, you know, some of the Miami Heat and everything like that, I think you yeah. can. I think you could say uh, say that for almost uh, you know any city in the United States that had uh, any kind of professional uh, uh, teams, I think they would yeah. be out there helping. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, definitely. No question about uh, it. I mean, you saw it like, uh, like the Boston Marathon, for example. Uh, when the Boston yeah. Marathon oh, yeah. had the Boston bombings, uh, you had Joe Andruzzi, who at the time was – I believe he was retired from the uh, from the New England Patriots. Uh, of course, he lives in Boston, and you know he participates. I believe no, he doesn't participate in the marathon, but he does something for the marathon every year. And uh, he was one of the people you could see him carrying one of the victims in one of the uh, infamous photos uh, that are or that that was put out. You know, there's, yeah. And even nine 11, you know, I'm pretty sure. uh, Although I don't think it was really reported back then uh, when it came to athletes, um, you know, getting involved with, uh, with, with efforts. Actually, I don't even think, I don't even think any of the New York teams, Lou, do you, do you know any, uh, anything about this? If uh, if the Giants or the Jets or or any of the New York teams really really did anything back then, mm. wait uh, from which from from when I didn't hear the whole question. From uh, from nine eleven, you know, back when uh, like did they help with any rescue efforts or anything? Oh, absolutely. You know, I was in the New York area, hit him close to home. Yeah, they helped out. They helped out quite a bit. Because the one thing I remember was the Yankees, they had uh, – they were actually the first team, I think, to yes. – the first New York team to honor 9-11. Uh, they had George Bush throw out the first pitch, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. That's correct. In the first game, the first game after. Uh, but, you know, uh, uh, apart from – Apart from that, I, I hadn't heard of any uh, of any athletes really reaching out. I think Jeter was maybe one that did, uh, you know, that that tried to help out with uh, with relief or, or rescue efforts. Um, but you know, like you said, JB, you know, it's 
nowadays you would probably see that out of any if if it would happen to any uh to any city or any uh you know any uh any state that had a uh that had a big sports franchise oh yeah and i can see uh you know if something would happen in cincinnati i can see uh oh like uh you know, somebody, uh, some people in, uh, you know, Detroit and uh, Cleveland and uh, Pittsburgh coming to help, you know, if something happened uh, here in Cincinnati. Yeah. And speaking of Tyler Harrow, actually, according to an NBA source, I mean, he he was one of he was one of those that was helping out with relief efforts. Uh, apparently, there is a seventy five percent chance that he gets traded this off season, as the Miami Heat didn't get the jump from Harrow this season that they expected out of him. Uh, compared compared to how he played last year, which honestly, to me, it's kind of a bit too early considering it was only his sophomore year. Yeah. I mean, you, this is a kid who was one of your major contributors in your NBA finals run last year. And you mean to tell me that uh, there's somebody in the NBA who believes there's a, at least a 75% chance that they move on from Harrow. In what way would that be? even be good for their organization. I mean, Lou, what do you, do you, do you really put any stock into that, uh, into that report? No. Not at all. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense at all. Why they would move on from somebody like Tyler Harrow, who has been one of the breakout players the past two years for the organization. Some things just don't make any sense at all. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yes. And uh, by by the way, we were talking about coaching, uh, about uh, coaching positions earlier. Uh, Becky Hammond, she was a finalist for the Portland job before it ended up going to Billups. Oh, yeah. So it, it kind of sounds like, it kind of sounds like to me that, you know, maybe perhaps a lot of what has come out has sort of made a little bit of sense to where, you know, maybe these teams are sort of using potential female coaches to be, you know, to provide, uh, good press for their club because of course everybody wants to be that one team that's known for potentially hiring the first ever woman to be a head coach in the NBA or in sports in general Uh, yeah Booker I don't know what the hell you were doing there that's definitely a travel Uh, Mm mm-hmm uh, let's see. I mentioned that uh, the Blazers, they hired Chauncey Billups as their next head coach. 
apparently he was Damian Lillard's guy. He was the guy that Lillard wanted, uh, well, apart from Jason Kidd, that is, to come to uh, to come to Portland. Uh, it says here that Jacques Vaughn, who is an assistant for the Nets, uh, his candidacy for the head coaching job in New Orleans is reportedly gaining traction, according to ESPN's Brian uh, Windhorst. Uh, on his Hoop Collective podcast, Windhorst said that the word coming out of Chicago at the draft combine is that Vaughn, who is a close friend of Pelicans GM Trajan Langdon, is going to get a real serious look for the head coaching job there. Uh, Windhorse does also say, though, that uh, Bucks assistant coach Charles Lee is also a strong candidate for the Pelicans job as well. And when it comes to the Wizards job, Windhorse has also said that uh, Sixers assistant Sam Cassell, as well as Nuggets assistant Wes Unseld Jr., are two of the leading candidates for the Wizards head coach opening. And right. it would make sense. It would make sense for Cassell because he is a native of Baltimore, which is just a short ride up uh, up I ninety five from Washington D.C. And he did also spend five years on the bench as an assistant coach for the Wizards from 2009 to, to uh, 2014. And probably one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest endorsements for him is former Wizards guard John Wall was on the record uh, saying that Cassell was in, was very instrumental in his development as an NBA point guard. And obviously, you know, while he had a uh, he had a down year, obviously this year because of, of you know, obviously he's recovering from surgery. But uh, you know, at at the at, at one time he was one of the top players in the league while playing for the Wizards. Now, Unseld was uh, was on staff. Uh, for Washington from tw- from 2005 to 2011 before he spent time with the Warriors, Magic, and then the Nuggets since 2015 under Mike Malone. Uh, the most notable connection, though, to the Wizards franchise, though, is that his father, Wes Unseld, is one of the best players in franchise history, having spent his entire 13-year playing career for the Washington Bullets winning the franchise's only championship in 1978. And then he went on to coach the team for a year as an assistant and then six as the head coach from 1988 to 1994. So there's a possibility that that Unseld Jr. Could have, uh, could have the inside track for the Wizards' job. Yes. You know, there, there's potentially another opening, Lou, as it's said here that uh, Atlanta coach Nate McMillan is possibly having reservations about becoming the permanent head coach and that he might yeah. prefer some other role within the organization. Although the Atlanta front office wants him to return as the permanent head coach 
after guiding the Hawks to a 27-11 and record over the last 38 games of the regular season. And, of course, they're in the Eastern Conference Finals right now under him. So what what are your thoughts on that? That that could be an interesting if 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 McMillan yeah. wants wants to uh, wants to have a different position and not be head coach. You know the Atlanta Hawks. At, you know at one point I would I I said that that Boston was the most intriguing uh, position yeah. available, but if Atlanta say if Atlanta was eliminated early. It's possible that Atlanta could have been one of the most one of the more intriguing positions. I think you're right about that. Yeah. Oh, uh, what is this? Oh, Devin. Oh boy, Devin okay. Booker has fouled. Devin Booker has fouled out as this has been reversed Uh-oh. to being an offensive foul. What a time about to happen. Oh, boy. And wait a minute. Let me see. This is a five-point lead for the Clip or for the uh, the Suns. This could be huge if the Clippers can make a couple of shots and get a couple of stops. Uh-oh. I don't believe yeah, what's happened I... in this game. Oh, are they are they foul or was that a timeout? I can't I can't tell because I have the I have the I have the game on mute right now. Right. Uh, was. Oh, are they calling up there? I think they're calling a foul on Bridges. I, I think see. that's an and one. Okay, that that must be what they're what they're uh, calling here. Um, let's see, where is? Wait a minute, I already said that. Let me get that out of there. Uh, oh, another thing we uh, we didn't talk about: uh, Team USA, obviously, with uh, the Olympics uh, going this year in Tokyo. Uh, we have quite a few notable names that are going to be taking part in the Olympics this year. Yes. Uh, for Team USA. We have commitments so far from Jason Tatum, Bradley Beal, Sam Adebayo, Draymond Green, Damian Lillard, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker. However, Booker will withdraw if, if the Suns make the NBA Finals. Yeah. Uh, also, they got commitments from Kevin Love, Chris Middleton, and Middleton might actually be the same thing uh, if the Bucks make it, as well as Drew Holiday. Uh, and they also got a commitment when that was announced. What was that? Well, considering you know uh, they still would be playing the finals by the time the Olympics are ready to roll around, so you knew it was going to be a problem. Yeah. Or they could still be playing. I don't know if they would still be playing the fi- the finals, but they they said that basically well, the time frame. I think they said the final, if it goes to Game Seven, would go to July twenty first. 
Oh yeah, so then it would it would definitely there would be a uh, it would conflict basically. Oh, that's a big rebound for Phoenix. That is a huge rebound. Wow. Yeah, you know, I, I got I gotta say I think Boy. LA uh it looks like this is a three one uh a three one series right now. LA just can't they can't get the ball back. Down to seventeen point four seconds now. Uh now some notable declines. Uh Steph Curry, he has declined uh, to be part of Team USA, as has LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Uh, Chris Paul, originally Chris Paul was a yes, but then it got switched to a no. Uh, James Harden is a no, but that kind of makes sense because he's going to re uh, rehab his hamstring Absolutely. Uh, that he injured in the playoffs, so it makes sense. And Donovan Mitchell is also a no for Team USA as well. So, you know, I got to tell you, USA basketball looks pretty stacked this year. Yes, they do. I mean, granted, they do have the most superstar players anyways that are playing in the NBA. But, uh, you know, usually you have you have strong contenders like Spain. I assume if the Gasol brothers are going to play again, uh, you know, Usually, usually you have you have your no, your notable teams uh, that'll be playing in the uh, in the Olympics, but it really seems like this year. Oh, that's off on Paul, I think. Uh, this year, it really seems like Team USA probably has the inside track for the gold medal right now. Uh, going over to the NFL for a little bit here, uh, probably one of the biggest shockers this week, the Pittsburgh Steelers released David DeCastro, their all-pro right guard. And apparently it it sounds like that this is uh, basically a retirement. That they're okay. It's L.A. Ball. Uh, looks uh, looks like here. Uh, oh boy! This is basically a retirement. With uh, I assume they're going to sort of do the same thing that the Patriots did with Julian Edelman, where there will be some sort of settlement uh, in free agency, uh, which will allow Pittsburgh to save money. Apparently, they're going to save eight point eight million dollars by releasing DeCastro. Uh, and DeCastro, he has been dealing with an ankle issue for quite some time, and it was reported that he was considering retirement. It looks like this is probably going to be the case here. Uh, so the Steelers, once again, an- another position that they're now going uh, that is now going to have to be part of their complete revamp this year. I mean, it's it's unbelievable how much change 
uh, has gone through that organization. Yes. Over the over the past year here. Uh, there's also oh, this I, one. Oh, I can from, see him emerging too. <laughs> what what's that? What's that, JB? I I can I can see him coming out of it. Uh, you know. Uh, Real good too. As as the same as the same Pittsburgh team as last year, or even better, really. I don't know about that. I mean, they've lost a couple of key players this year. They don't have James Conner anymore. They're losing to Castro. Uh, didn't they lose another lineman? I think too. Uh, Mar- Marquise Pouncey yeah. retired, or was it Marquise right, or was right. it Mike? I forget. I forget which Pouncey brother is uh, what it was a Steeler, but uh, what, whichever Pouncey brother it was, uh, Pouncey retired. Uh, there was another another either guard or tackle that ended up retiring or leaving. I it just it seems like the Steelers have gone through so many changes on the offensive side of the ball this year that. You know, if this is going to be Ben Roethlisberger's final year, you know, it's it's almost making it harder on him. Basically. Yeah, really. That considering the numbers he put up last year, it's almost like he's going to have to be Superman this year in order for yeah. the Steelers to really have a shot at uh, at contending. And speaking of retirement, uh, it's also been reported that Bill's wide receiver, Cole Beasley, has said that COVID-19 protocols may force him into retirement, as he says he would rather take his chances uh, by building up immunity uh, with COVID as opposed to taking the vaccine. And you know, I think it's entirely—I think it's entirely possible we may see other stuff, uh, you know, other things like this pop up, not just in the NFL, but also potentially in other sports as well. With so many, so many athletes speaking out against uh, either for or against the vaccine, uh, like like we've seen here with Cole Beasley. Uh, the Jets, they signed offensive tackle Morgan Moses to a one-year deal worth about $3.6 million. Uh, yeah, he started but, uh, every ga- My co-host was like, you know, like, say, you know, it's a good thing he got rid of because he, like, trashed us. So he's thinking that when he comes to the Jets, it's going to be the same result, and they seem like the Jets will suck no, again. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah. no. He was coming off of a strong year. He was coming off of a strong year uh, this season where he was graded as Pro Football Focus's number six graded run blocking tackle. Number six in the entire league. Now, obviously, he'll compete with George Fant for the team's starting right tackle role, but it's entirely possible maybe – 
maybe he they may find another use another use for him on the uh, on the offensive line if he doesn't win the starting role. But I would consider this to be actually pro- probably an upgrade to the Jets' uh, offensive line, in all honesty. And especially when you have when you have a, a rookie like Zach Wilson coming in as your new quarterback, you know you're going to want to surround him with as many big bodies as possible. And honestly, I think I think this is a pretty good signing for the Jets. I mean, will it be a will it be a difference maker? I I'm not sure. I can really say that it would be, but okay, you know, it'll still direction. Is how I would put it, basically. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Pro Football Talk has reported that Aaron Rodgers could save $18.3 million in unearned signing bonus money and roster bonus money if he opts out of the 2021 season by July 2nd. You better hurry up. And basically it says an agreement between the league and the players union that was struck this week grants broad powers to all players to opt out of the 2021 season, regardless of whether or not they opted out in 2020. By the way, nice choke job, Paul George. Miss another three, another free throw, please. Uh, Regardless of whether they opted out in 2020 or whether they have been diagnosed with a higher risk condition since October 1st of 2020. And obviously we know last year, dozens of players opted out of the season due to COVID-19. And the Packers have been crystal clear that they will not trade Rodgers this off season. He will play for green Bay or he'll play for no one this upcoming season. Jordan Love, meanwhile, has taken almost all of the first-team reps in Green Bay off-season practices, making up for his lack of reps that he uh, that he uh, had during the shortened 2020 off-season. So it's it's really seeming like right now that it's probably going to be Jordan Love, starting quarterback for the uh, for the Green Bay Packers next year. And if that's the case. All I gotta say is, yikes! Yeah, I mean, talk about taking a gigantic blow to to a team's potential contender contendership. I mean, hell, weren't they just in the conference uh, the conference finals this year? Yes. Mm-hmm. And yet they, they they lost obviously to Brady and the Buccaneers, but you go to go from the conference finals to potentially maybe not even making the playoffs, all because you would rather stick with your general manager than stick on the side of uh, of your franchise player. I mean, it's obvious there's there's some sort of rift going on there. So 
wouldn't you want to make your franchise player happy, especially even though, granted, he's getting older, but he literally just put together an MVP performance this season? I mean, I would be bending over backwards to try and keep him happy, even if it meant having to get a new general manager. Yeah, and then some. Yeah, there we go. And it looks like this might be the dagger tonight for – for game four here. Looks like Phoenix, assuming Paul lands this free throw, will put Phoenix up by four and with 3.9 seconds to go and no timeout. Oh, oh he missed. Uh, here, we, you, you see, here, we, here we go. This Not over yet, but this is what we were, you know, this is what you were talking about, uh, JB, with um, – Within the last two minutes, you know, you see all these. Uh, it seems like the last two minutes is nothing but free throws uh, yeah. for an NBA game. And oh, what a perfect person to foul too! Fouling Paul George, who's missed five already tonight. Uh, yeah, this is uh, it's it's become very common in not just back, not just a not just a regular season game, but very common in the postseason too. Uh, to where yeah, now it's almost it's all, it's almost like a chess game, really. Who can yeah, we uh, let's, let's foul? Let's foul this guy because he hasn't made any in you know the yeah. whole the whole night. Let's foul this guy because he hasn't done crap. Yeah. <laughs> let me guess: are they, are they going to intentionally miss again? Yep, they're going to intentionally miss again. Yeah. What What the hell are they thinking? Seriously. Who said they were thinking? Well, pro- well, obviously they're going. They're going for a. They were going. They were going to go for the rebound and hope that they can. Uh, hope that they can get a quick bucket to tie right. it up. Yeah. Uh, but all they did was basically waste clock there, because they couldn't get the rebound. No, that's not move at all. No. And. Now, because of this, uh, and it was definitely, yeah, Paul was definitely fouled there. Uh, I mean, 1.3 seconds left. You know, there's, even if they yeah. try to, assuming Paul, well, obviously, if he gets both shots here, it's not going to really matter because, you know, the game right. will be over. Uh, but assuming, even if he gets one out of two, I they're not going to be able to get a shot off in a shot off in 1.3 seconds. One that that would, uh, you well, know, one they, that would actually this here, forget it. It's over. Yeah, if they make this here, it's over. But even if they don't, yeah, right. you know, I I just don't I don't see. And yeah, it's over. Four, it's uh, over. Four point. Uh, yeah, there we go. So an 84 to 80 victory for the Phoenix Suns in Game Four. Phoenix leads the series three games to one, and with with no Kawhi Leonard in Game Five, with no Kawhi Leonard in Game Five, it looks like this is probably Phoenix's uh, series for the taking here. I try to tell you guys, but 
some people think I was being crazy, you know, thinking, can can um, the Clippers do without Leonard? No. Chris Paul can't do it by himself. Well, you know, a, a huge a huge thing this offseason or this postseason, or actually not even the postseason, but, you know, during Paul George and Kawhi Leonard's tenure with the Clippers so far has been the fact that Paul George has been a major choke artist in a Clippers uniform. Major choke artist. I mean, it's, you know, Paul George, when he was with the Indiana Pacers, he could take over a game at any, at any moment in time. You know, now ever since he's partnered up with Kawhi Leonard, it just se- it seems like he doesn't have that killer mentality that he used to have with Indiana. Yeah. But uh, actually, you know, in Sports Whispers, um, we did a poll for who would who would take home the Larry O'Brien Trophy. And oh, yeah. right now, the Phoenix the Phoenix Suns have the most votes right now in uh, Sports right. Whispers. So, and this was and this was uh, put up before the before the uh, the conference finals even began. So, yeah, you know, by uh, by next week, I think it's very possible. Well, uh, we'll know at least one of the uh, one of the NBA finals participants i believe assuming how that considering how this series has been going i uh, think we will know the results of atlanta and, and milwaukee though uh unless milwaukee just or if milwaukee or atlanta just absolutely dominates the rest of the series uh i don't buy that yeah i just don't see it no Yeah, no, I think I think it's I think it's gonna be it's gonna be close to the point of where we're you know we're probably still gonna be talking about this series even next week. So I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but before we before we close down tonight, I just I gotta talk about the Tour de France. I don't know if you saw this, Lou. Uh, but there was one dumbass who held out a sign uh, for, during during the Tour de France, held out a sign that caused I think it was either the second or the third biker in the uh, in the pack to hit the sign, and it caused him to not just crash, but all of the other bikes behind him crashed as well. I see. You know, for some reason, I yeah. thought the Tour de France started next week. I wasn't aware it started this week. Yeah, they actually moved it back a week because of uh, the uh, Olympics. Um, yeah, but the Olympics are in Japan, not uh, not France, and it doesn't start till July uh, July twenty first. Well, July twentieth was the first event. Opening ceremony is the twenty third. So I didn't think anything that, oh, wait a minute. Oh, they would collide. Okay. They would collide together. Well, I think not just that, but it also has to do with the qualifiers that, uh, that France is, uh, that France right. may be doing for, for this, uh, for this past, uh, not this past week, but 
but last week. So that might be why uh, they sort of moved it because I get it. of, you know, obviously they want to focus on, on uh, the Olympics. So, right, you know, they got to get That's... the Tour de France they got to get the right. Tour de France over with and then switch over, uh, switch right. their priorities yeah, no, over I'll to say preparing for the Olympics. Good night. All right, Lou. Uh, thanks for calling in. We will see you next week. Uh, thank you, JB, uh, for joining me uh, in the after show tonight. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, if I receive any word at all about a podcast uh, this Thursday, um Obviously, I will. Uh, there will obviously probably be a, an advertisement posted in whispers, or I'll uh, I'll message you and uh, if there's no podcast. Uh, but we will be having a cast assessment podcast, assuming everything goes as planned, uh, this upcoming Friday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, hosted by Melissa and myself. Uh, With that said, everybody have a good rest of your weekend, and we will see you guys next Saturday for another edition of Sports Whispers Weekly.